So here at Redeemer, we're working through the Gospel of John. We're calling the series Seeing Jesus because very simply what I'm praying is that that we would see Jesus because when we see Jesus, we're changed. When we see Jesus, we're transformed. When we see Jesus, people are, are forever made new. So we need to see Jesus. And I wanted to do it in big chunks. And so I was trying to go a chapter at a time through John's gospel. And last week, chapter 3 won because I only got halfway done. So if you're visiting today or if you were out with the flu last Sunday, um, you're coming kind of in midstream because this is our our second go at John chapter 3. And I would encourage you to go online and, and listen to that sermon. But if I can summarize it in this way so that you didn't think I left out all the good parts. Last week, what we looked at is that in this passage, you actually see two responses to Jesus. You see a man named Nicodemus, who we called an informed intellectual skeptic, coming to Jesus and asking hard questions, asking honest questions, but truly seeking answers about who Jesus was and what he was doing in the world. And we saw John the Baptist pop back on the scene as um, faithfully holding the posture of a disciple that says, when Jesus is exalted, we win. When Jesus is exalted, our souls are satisfied. Now, running through that dialogue about Nicodemus and that dialogue about John the Baptist is this idea of the kingdom of God. This idea of salvation, this idea of new birth, this idea of darkness and light, this idea of sin needing to be forgiven and salvation granted. And running throughout this interaction, it it really is the ultimate question of the Gospel of John, really is the ultimate question of the Bible, really is the ultimate question of our Christian faith, and really is the ultimate question that every human wrestles with. Is there something beyond what I can see and taste and touch, and does it extend beyond this life? That really is the question that I think every human is wrestling with because every human is created by God in God's image to wrestle with his existence and how we relate to him. And Jesus, in this narrative, and John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wants us to understand very, very clearly what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is this, that he came to bring everlasting life, newness of life, and fellowship with God for all who come to him. Jesus is saying that he came to bring everlasting life, newness of life, fellowship with God for everyone who comes to him. And embedded in that is all who don't come to him are left in the darkness in which they already live. So that's what we're going to look at today as we consider this sermon title, Encountering the Kingdom. Encountering, or excuse me, not encountering, entering the kingdom. I can't read today. Entering the kingdom. And so for my, my, my note-taking friends, actually even before we get to that, for Jesus is going to really explain 
and heap up a lot of the language of the church that has almost become cliche. Things like the kingdom of God, eternal life, not perishing, saved from condemnation, following the light and not evil. All these words that we throw around in the church, Jesus really heaps them all up into this this one pile of synonyms that tells us what Jesus came to do and what Jesus came to build. And the most simple summary statement for what Jesus came to do and what Jesus came to build is the kingdom of God. Jesus came to reveal the kingdom of God, to build the kingdom of God, and to draw others into the kingdom of God. So my first point, if you're one of my note-taking friends, is simply the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So if you're looking at the passage with me, look back at chapter 3 and verse 2. Nicodemus has come to Jesus And Nicodemus says to Jesus, like, clearly there's something unique about you, and I'm even willing to grant that it's something that comes from God because of all the things that you do. And notice Jesus' answer to Nicodemus, which to us feels a little disjointed, and to us feels a little logically, like, how did he go from a, a, a praise, like, you must be, you must be doing things in God's name, to this statement? Chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can go, man, how do we go from, hey, you're doing great things, God must be with you, to unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And the answer to that question is that that Jesus, remember we said Nicodemus was kind of an informed, in, intelligent, intellectual skeptic with lots of religious training. And so Jesus is speaking directly to his informed, intelligent, religious mind when he says, kingdom of God. Because that is a loaded phrase that communicates great truth. Kingdom of God, often also in the New Testament, falling under the phrase kingdom of heaven, was everything that Nicodemus and his Jewish counterparts were waiting upon. The kingdom of God was the place of God's blessing being poured upon God's people for God's purposes forever. So the kingdom of God was the place of God's blessing where God's blessing was being poured upon God's people for God's purposes forever. Like this is what they were waiting on. They were waiting on God's Messiah, God's chosen one, to come and free them from the captivity and the bondage of Rome and to set up God's place, God's rule, God's blessing God's purpose is winning now and forever. So Nicodemus was right to wait on that. 
But Nicodemus, as a leader of the religious people of his day, as a leader of Judaism, would not have seen himself as one outside that kingdom, but would have seen himself much like a bridegroom, which John the Baptist is going to call himself later. He would have seen himself as the one saying, Come, king, we're preparing for you. Come, I want to be on the forefront of what you're going to do. And what Jesus says is, You are not in the kingdom because you've not been born again. So what Jesus is making very clear is that yes, he is the bringer of the kingdom of God. God's blessing comes through Jesus. God's people are the people of Jesus. God's purpose is to build the church of Jesus, which has an influence in the world, building the kingdom of Jesus as far and deep and wide as it can possibly go. But Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, you're on the outside because the first birth to whom you were born, the status that you claim for yourself, your voter registration card, the schools that you send your kids to, the tax bracket that you inhabit, the things that you support with your money, none of that will ever bring you into the kingdom. It's not a matter of which team you're on. It's a matter of do you know the Savior who is the door, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the entry point. The kingdom of God, we're told in this passage, is entered by something supernatural. It's entered by what Jesus calls the new birth or the second birth. We only enter the kingdom when something supernatural happens to us. Now, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. So let's, let's, let's table that and let's follow this kingdom logic throughout this passage. Here's what we're told about the kingdom of God. First, we're told that the kingdom of God must be entered. It's what Jesus says to Nicodemus in verses 3 and following, that we don't enter the kingdom of God based upon our family, based upon our bloodlines, or based upon any other physical thing. We don't enter the kingdom based upon the identities that we take up for ourselves. We must enter the kingdom by faith in Jesus. So I said we'll come back to that. Second, Jesus is going to equate the kingdom with eternal life. Jesus is going to equate the kingdom of God with eternal life. Jesus says in verse 14, as Moses was lifted up in this by Uh, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, remember that's what Jesus calls himself, must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So now this kingdom that Nicodemus needs to enter is a kingdom of eternal life. And friends, I think this is so important for us. We enter the kingdom by faith in Jesus. We enter the kingdom in this life, not when we die. Therefore, 
The eternal life, the life of abundance, the life of blessing, the life of power, the life of the indwelling Holy Spirit doesn't begin when we die and all go to heaven. It begins when we enter the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Third, Jesus says that this kingdom means that those who are in it will not perish. Eternal life and eternal perishing are antonyms, and Jesus came to deliver people from eternal perishing into eternal life. Therefore, the most often quoted passage in the Bible, which by the way, I'm not picking on that. I think it deserves to be the most often quoted passage in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not what? Should not perish, but have eternal life. So what Jesus is saying is outside of his kingdom, there's perishing. Inside his kingdom, there's life. Number four, Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God saves from death and condemnation. Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God delivers one from death and condemnation. Keep reading. For God did not send his son into the world, this is verse 17, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now what what John is saying is not saying is that, that everyone enters the kingdom. He's saying that everyone who's outside the kingdom is already in darkness, is already under judgment, is already in death, is already under condemnation. Keep reading. Whoever believes in him is not Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, friends, if I could just pause for a minute. We Christians who hold the Bible dearly, we Christians who believe that when Jesus said, um, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We often get accused of being exclusive. We often get accused of being mean. We often get accused of being hateful. We often get accused of reading things into the scripture that Jesus never intended to be there. But can I just read the words of Jesus to you? Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he is not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now hear me so, so clearly. It is not the desire of Jamie Mosley that people stand under God's condemnation. We at Redeemer will never revel in the fact that people are far from God and far from his grace and far from his mercy. We must remember verse 17 For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We must align our hopes, our hearts, our desires with the will of God that Jesus would deliver many, many people from death and condemnation into life and salvation and joy and eternal life. But as we align ourselves with that hope, we must remember that death and life hang in the balance. The kingdom of God is about an eternal life that delivers people from perishing and from condemnation. 
So number one, the kingdom must be entered. Number two, the kingdom is about eternal life. Number three, the kingdom is the only way not to perish. Number four, the kingdom of God entering it is the only way to be saved from condemnation. Number five, the kingdom of God is about light and not about evil. Verse 19, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now hear this very clearly. The kingdom of God is about a people who have been supernaturally changed and therefore they live differently. So so hear this very, very clearly. We as Christians are often told to go and do good things for people so that they can enter the kingdom. Or we're often told to go and do good things for people so that we can expand the kingdom. I just want to nuance that just a little bit. Let us be bearers of light. Let us love our neighbor. Let us feed those without food. Let us shelter those who are not sheltered. Let us adopt and foster those who are without family. Let us love those who have made bad decisions in their lives. Let us do all of those things because when we do those things, we display the light that is in us. When we do those things, we display the power of the kingdom to which we belong. But those whom we serve still need Jesus. And that, I believe, is how we hold our desire for the gospel to be proclaimed and received in in tension with the call to go and do good things for others. They both work together to exalt the power of Jesus. Look, I'm the most selfish dude in the world. So if I give of my time to serve others, that's the power of God's spirit at work in me the work of Jesus in my life, and that exalts him, and that makes him appealing. I have a streak of anger that runs through me that's so unsatisfying in my soul, and when that streak is quenched and filled with love, that's a testimony of the power of God, which I think when manifested into the world shows that God is good and God is powerful and God saves and it, it, it brings the benefits of his work in us to others and invites them to his kingdom. The kingdom is about manifesting light. I'm afraid I'm confused, so just give me a moment here. Is it the purpose of the church to do good things or to proclaim the gospel of Jesus? And my answer is yes. Because the good 
works that flow out of those who have heard and believed and responded to the gospel exalt the Savior who's building his kingdom and it makes his kingdom appealing. But we must remember that our compassion toward others can never bring them into the kingdom of God. They must receive the gospel of Jesus through the working of the Holy Spirit. So that's five things about the kingdom. It must be entered. The kingdom is a synonym for eternal life. The kingdom is a synonym for not perishing. The kingdom is a synonym for being saved from condemnation. The kingdom is a bearer of light and not of evil. And finally, number six, Jesus is the entry point for the kingdom. There is no other entry point. Chapter 3, verse 14. The Son of Man must be lifted up so whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16. God gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. Jesus is the entry point into the kingdom that he is building, and he will help us enter. So by way of application, our last question today, second point for my note-taking friends, how do I enter the kingdom? How do I enter the kingdom? This is what this passage says to us. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born by water and the Spirit, meaning your natural birth will not enter you into the kingdom. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the birth of the flesh will not bring you into the kingdom. Jesus tells Nicodemus that we cannot predict how the birth of the Spirit will happen, but it will be obvious when it happens. Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Son of Man must be lifted up, but all who believe in the Son will will enter the kingdom. Jesus tells Nicodemus that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then after this bit about John the Baptist in verses 31 through 35, John the apostle who wrote the Gospel of John tells us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are at work to bring people into the kingdom. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are at work in unison to bring people into the kingdom. So how do I enter the kingdom? One answer, you must be born again. You can't do that by yourself. How do I enter the kingdom? You must be born of the Spirit. But you can't be born of the Spirit by yourself. How do I enter the kingdom? You must believe upon the name of Jesus. How do I enter the kingdom? I must believe upon the name of Jesus. Now, those two things should feel conflicting and antithetical to you. I need something to happen in me that I can't do, and I need to do something that I can do. Does that feel conflicting to you? I think if we piece all this together in light of this chapter and in light of the totality of the Bible, what we see 
is that as God is working in someone's life, the Spirit of God goes before them and begins to prepare that person to hear the gospel and begins to cultivate the soil of that person's mind and heart and will such that when the gospel is spoken and those seeds are ready to come to bear fruit, that person willingly and joyfully says, Jesus is the Lord, I believe, I receive his salvation, and I walk with him. Is this a divine mystery? Of course it is, but it's where the Bible pushes us. Do not reject Jesus today, believe upon his name. Do not turn your back on him, receive the gift of his salvation. And yet recognize that you can't cultivate a believing heart by yourself, so plead for the Spirit of God to cultivate it in you. Plead for the Holy Spirit to prepare in you a believing heart and mind. It's a mystery that we'll spend all of eternity navigating, but know this. Jesus says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we can believe that is the bedrock of our faith. And if I sound too Arminian for you, you need to quit being so theological and read your Bible. (laughs) I thought I'd never say that. And then we need to recognize that humans in and of themselves cannot turn death into life. We need the work of the Spirit. And if I don't sound revivalistic enough for you, you need to read your Bible. And if I just made you hate me, can we hug later? (laughs) But friends, this is the invitation. Jesus didn't come to make your life better. He didn't come to make your kids happier. He didn't come to take away all your pain. He didn't come to make you love this world. He didn't come to make you set up your own little kingdom whereby you're your own little king and your own little boss and you always get what you want, when you want, how you want it. He came to invite you into his kingdom. And walking in his kingdom is trusting in him. It's walking by faith. It's being transformed by the power of the spirit. It's bearing fruit and keeping with repentance and bearing fruit and keeping with righteousness so that other people can experience the love and the mercy and the tenderness of his holy name and be invited to him. That's what our lives are called for. So I'm going to give you one example, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper. On March the 16th and 17th, I think Bill talked about this earlier, we have a marriage conference coming up, okay? So how does a marriage conference fit into this conversation about the kingdom of God? That's going to be our application today, okay? And all of you are going to sign up when this is over. Andy, we're going to be sold out by 5 o'clock. I can feel it, okay? All right. How does a marriage conference fit in this conversation about the kingdom? Number one, God created marriage. And the best way to experience the power of God's mercy in our marriages is to identify with Jesus, to believe on his name, and to walk with him. And so if this marriage conference causes us to see our sin and to see our need for Jesus and maybe even to be converted and believe for the first time, then the kingdom of God will grow through this marriage conference. All right, we good so far? Second, if we 
as the hosts of this marriage conference, rather than being guilt-ridden and condemning and shaming and being like, if you would just believe in Jesus, you would have a perfect marriage too because you all know you fought in the car on the way here this morning. You know you did. So rather than carrying that, if we will be compassionate and merciful and we will display the love of Jesus, we will show that we belong to him, that light is in us, and we will manifest the power of his kingdom into families that maybe are far from him. And third, if we do that well, his kingdom might become appealing. It might cause someone to look upon us and say, man, there is something in those people, in their marriages, that I don't have. How do I have that? And see, that's where People who are apart from Jesus can be blessed by the kingdom, but they also need to be invited into the kingdom. And so if marriages are healed in this community, then God will receive glory. If marriages are healed in this community and those people are are brought to the feet of Jesus in faith, God will receive glory. If the church of Jesus grows through this event, then the kingdom of God will grow. So here's the thing. Here's what I want to end with. The kingdom of God grows when someone believes the gospel and professes faith in Christ. The kingdom of God grows by numerical growth right there. Boom, okay? The kingdom of God grows in depth when we repent of our sin and more identify with light and walk in his ways. There's depth. The kingdom grows in its witness when we bear fruit and display the love and the mercy and the light that is in Christ. And so I don't want to reconcile that. I want a kingdom that's growing numerically and a kingdom that's growing in depth and a kingdom that's shining a brighter light because I believe that's what Jesus wants and that's what he's inviting us into. So what Jesus is making very clear through this story with Nicodemus and through this conversation with John the Baptist is that he came to build a kingdom and all who call upon his name will enter his kingdom, will experience everlasting life, and have the purpose of bearing fruit for his glory in the world. And that, is that to which is what I am inviting you.